0: Been a few weeks. Uh, seems like since we were here, but uh, we're going to catch up uh, today, and we're going to look at part two of the pastor in the church of Laodicea. And we l- were looking at in the last message at these seven pastors and their churches in Revelation chapters two and three. Uh, last time we were looking at the church of the Laodiceans. Uh, remember, we noted that this church is referred to the church of Laodicea, whereas all the other churches were addressed to the angel in the church in or of a name of a city. And uh, I believe that that is signif- a significant distinction. It gives us a clue of whose church these people thought it was. It would seem they were saying it was their church instead of the Lord's church. Uh, last time we noted the problems in Laodicea, the problem of possession. Again, it's not our church, it's not my church, but rather it's God's church. Uh, The problem of passion, and we looked at the meaning of the words hot and cold. This is not talking about salvation, but spirituality. Hot being zealous and on fire, cold being refreshing and pleasant. And uh, it's the lukewarmness of this church that caused Jesus to uh, spew them out of his mouth. Uh, we'll look at that a little again in this uh, message today. The problem of perception, an attitude of satisfaction, no needs, doing all, uh, doing they were doing all right. They didn't have any need of anything. So that was the problems. Now notice the prescription for Laodicea and we'll look at verses 14 uh, through 19 again here is as we're looking at this uh, church <clears throat> the church was in trouble but all uh, not all hope is lost there is hope Jesus would give them his cure for their ailment and his cure comes in the form of a divine appearance in verse 14 unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things saith the amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Notice Jesus comes to this wayward church, and he first of all comes as the confirming one. He comes as a amen. Uh, This is a Hebrew word meaning so be it, let it be so, and it is so. Uh, It's used to express the idea of faithfulness and truth. Uh, When we use it to end our prayers, uh, we're saying, let it be so. Sometimes uh, people, I've heard Christians get so used to saying, in Jesus' name, amen, that they even finish their phone conversations that way, when they said goodbye to somebody. (laughs) Ever heard anybody do that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we use it to respond to a message, and if we're we're saying it is so or it is true, it's a word of confirmation, finality. Let me just insert here a word about applause in the church. It seems to be more in praise of the one singing or playing the instrument when we are to be praising God. I... Uh, don't think we're helping especially children when we applaud their cute little songs. Yeah, they are cute, and we want to say, oh, goody, goody, you know, you did such a good job, but I don't think we're helping them. Uh, we, they sh- shouldn't be looked at as performances, but rather in teaching them that they're serving the Lord, and good hearty amens are more appropriate. That's kind of all I'm going to say about that. But uh, some people, they want to applaud everything that goes on in the church. And even there's some churches that applaud the preacher while he's preaching. I've never heard that here. Thank goodness, because I'm not looking for the applause of men. I'm looking for uh, bring glory to God. So if you say amen, it is true. So be it. All right. Uh, When Jesus comes to this church, he comes as God's final word to humanity. Hebrews 1 and verse 2 says, "...hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds." Uh, He comes as the confirmer of all God's promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, "...for all the promises of God are in him are yea, and in him amen." Unto the glory of God by us. So, regardless of how this church saw itself, Jesus comes to tell the truth, and he comes to have the final say in Laodicea. He comes as the confronting one. It says here, he also comes as the faithful and true witness. Uh, The church had a vision of itself uh, and what it was flawed, and Jesus wants them to know that he knows them. As they really are, and He comes to reveal their true state, their testimony lied about Him, and He's come to set the record straight. So His, uh, He comes as confronting them, the faithful and true witness. Uh, he comes as the controlling one. It's also the beginning of the creation of God. It says there, verse fourteen. Uh, this identifies Jesus as the Creator and the Controller of all things. Not a speck of dust can move in this universe without his permission, he is in control. He comes to a church that thought it was running its own show, and Jesus comes to remind them that in spite of what they might think, his hand is still on the wheel, and he's the one who controls this church. Uh, It would do us well to remember that Jesus, uh, uh, who Jesus is, Uh, he is still God's final word to the church, He's the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. He's the one in control, in spite of what people may think. And then secondly, we have a divine announcement. In verses 15 and 16, uh, he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my my mouth. (coughs) So he has a word for this church, the Lord's desire. (coughs) The Lord's desire for this church. Now, remember, we talked about this before, but just let me remind you, the water situation in Laodicea was a reflection of this church. And by the time the water reached Laodicea, they didn't have their own water source. It had to come from uh, a couple of different places. And... uh, the hot water uh, came out of the springs of Hierapolis. And uh, by the time it got to Laodicea, it would be, uh, had lost its therapeutic uh, properties. Uh, it, didn't re- it didn't provide refreshing quality of cool waters from Colossae. And so the waters were tepid or undesirable, lukewarm. Jesus tells this church he wants them to be either hot or cold. He wants his church to be a place where people can relax, find healing, like a trip to the hot springs. Now, we're not going to offer hot springs here at our church, but uh, that's just, uh, you know, that'd be a nice little perk, wouldn't it? You know? But uh, it's a picture here that he's given us. He wants his church to be a place where people can be refreshed uh, by uh, his worship and his presence. Uh, church should be a healing place. It should be a place of refreshment. I think uh, our church should be described as an oasis, if you please, Uh, a place where people can come and be challenged with fervent, passionate preaching, but also a place where they can find refreshment from the godlessness of this world. So that's uh, the idea here in his uh, speaking about I would that thou were cold or hot. Again, uh, as I uh, explained this, uh, I don't believe it has salvation in mind. Some people would say, well, you're hot, you're zealous for God, you're cold, you're dead. Uh, that means that's uh, not the meaning here at all. It's, it's a, a cold of refreshing and pleasant. Hot and, uh, is to be zealous and, and on fire. So, God would want one of those, either one of those, from us and from His church. Um, So, that's His desire. The Lord's disgust, of course, the Lord tells them He would spew them out of His mouth. The word spew, very strong word, and it means to vomit, to throw up. It's a a Greek word, emio. Uh, We get our English word emetic from it. An emetic is something that makes you want to throw up. Uh, For instance, uh, there is a drug that is often used to induce vomiting in case there's poisoning. And so uh, Jesus tells his church, like a drink of lukewarm water, uh, they make him want to vomit them out of his mouth. Now, you want to make sure if you're going to get a drink of water on a hot day, it's a cool, refreshing ice water, right? I was out on. Um, I probably told you this before, but I was uh, on the uh, harvest crew, and I was uh, unloading a truck of uh, of wheat with a with a auger, and uh, I saw a. Uh, plastic jug over there that looked like a nice, cool jug of, of, lemon, uh, of, of um, Kool-Aid or something like that, and I was hot, I was thirsty, so I went over there and thought I'd take a swig of that, relieve my thirst, and I spew it out of my mouth, because it was gasoline. It wasn't nice, cool drink at all, but that's kind of the picture here that the Lord is giving it, that, you know, you are, uh, he's telling this church, I just want to spew you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. He cannot and will not tolerate indifference and apathy. And I don't want to, to be a part of any church that brings disgust to our Lord. I trust we don't disgust our Lord. And then there's the Lord's description Verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. According to this verse, they thought they had it all. He looks at them and says, "You, you don't have anything. They were proud of their achievements. Jesus says, you're wretched. He means troubled, miserable, means to be pitied. They were proud of their wealth. Jesus tells them they were actually poor. A word means destitute and reduced to begging. Uh, They were proud of their vision of themselves. Jesus tells them that they were blind, cannot see themselves as they really are. Someone said, there's no one so blind as he who will not see. Uh, They were proud of their fashions and their fine clothing. Jesus tells them that they were naked totally exposed and revealed for what they really were. Now, to be naked in that society was the ultimate humiliation. To be naked in our society is a badge of honor. Seems like the fewer clothes people wear the uh, more that they're praised and looked upon uh, favorably. But uh, at that point, uh, that was a humiliation. It should be today, too. And then there's a divine advertisement. In verse 18, he goes on to say, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in fire, that thou mayest be rich, white, and and white raiment. Thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Tells them exactly where they uh, can find all they need. They come for spiritual value. If they come to him, put him first, and live out the word of God, they will know true riches. He calls them to get the spiritual gold standard and live out the genuine faith before a lost world, and they might see their wealth disappear, and they will be laying us up treasures over uh, in heaven. <coughs> and then they come for spiritual vesture. Uh, He invites them to adorn themselves in spiritual garments. It's an invitation to come to him for salvation. They were naked and lost in their sins. And if they come to him, he will clothe them in robes of righteousness, and they will be no longer naked and exposed in the sight of God. And then he comes for spiritual vision. He invited them to come so that he can restore their spiritual vision. When that spiritual vision is restored, they'll be able to see themselves as they are, and they will be able to see him as he is. This will lead uh, to repentance, obedience, and humble service, and we need that kind of spiritual vision. Why are people dead and dry and indifferent spiritually? It's because they cannot see themselves as the Lord truly sees them. And so Jesus can open blind eyes. And then he gives some spiritual advice. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. And he invites them to come to him. And then he gives them a much needed word of advice, a word of compassion. He says, as many as I love, in spite of their indifference toward him, he still loves them. And what a blessing that is, because Jesus doesn't just write people off when they don't do as he pleases. Aren't you thankful for that? I think he would have probably wrote most of us off at one time or another. But he calls us and continues to love us even when we reject him and his love. So there's a word of compassion, as many as I love. There's a word of caution, I rebuke and chasten. Jesus tells them and tells us this as well, just because he loves us like we are, he loves us too much to leave us as we are. In an effort to get our attention, uh, he will use two methods to turn us to him. First, he will rebuke us. That word rebuke means to convict or to correct, speak to us in our condition Uh, send his word, and he will convict us in our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if we come to him, he will receive us. If we fail to heed his rebukes, uh, then he will use more direct methods. And that is where we get the word chasten, means to correct with blows. So he may touch some area in our life just to get our attention. He might even use death. But those who uh, who refuse to walk in God's path will encounter trouble in their lives. So there's a word of caution and then a word of counsel. He says, be zealous and repent. The word zealous gives us the word, actually the original word there gives us the word zesty. It means to come to a boil. And Jesus is calling his church to get on fire for him. When we when they see their need and they turn to him, it manifests itself in genuine repentance. I think we need to remember repentance is defined not just as a change of mind. People change their minds all the time, but they don't they're not repenting. Change of mind that results in a change of direction. That's repentance. And if Laodicea were to repent. They would come alive to the Lord and his presence in their church. They would be moved by the cross and by the plight of the lost sinner. So we need to hear and heed the voice of the Lord Jesus in these days and and the need for repentance. We need to ask the Lord to let us see ourselves as we really are. We need to be able to see him as he really is. We need to come to a boil, so to speak, to get on fire for Him and repent of our indifference, our apathy. (coughs) Excuse me. And uh, we need to have uh, more concern about our lack of conviction. God help us to get to Him before his judgment falls on us. So you have the problems of Laodicea, the prescription for Laodicea, and then the promises of Laodicea. See this in verse 20 and 21. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him, into him, and sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I Also, overcome, overcame, and am set down with my father in his house. The Lord closes this letter with blessed promises. The sad truth is that Laodicea was evicted, had evicted Jesus Christ from their church. He was outside trying to get back inside, gain admission. And so, in verse Uh, first of all, you have a present promise. In verse 20, he says, I stand at the door and knock. Now, in his effort to get back into his church, Jesus stands there and knocks. These verbs are in the present tense. It could be stated this way, behold, I am continually standing at the door and I am continually knocking on the door. And he never gives up his efforts to enter uh, into the life of a church, the church that he loves. And so then it's not only a present promise, but it's a personal promise. Uh, Churches are made up of people, individuals. If any man hear my voice and open the door. Someone has said Jesus does not need for the whole church to get on fire so he can come in. He might just need one person to hear him and open the door. You know, when someone comes to your house to visit, maybe it's uh, uh, if you're... Uh, like when I had my kids at home, five children, and uh, someone would knock at the door, we wouldn't all go to the door at the same time <laughs> to open the door. You now some of the kids may might do that, but uh, it only takes one person to open the door. And Jesus is a gentleman. He will knock and he will call, but he won't break the door down. Uh. It must be opened by the act of his will. And that may be true concerning one person opening the door and letting Jesus in, but the greater thought here is that a local church is made up of individuals who each have a responsibility to put Jesus at the center of their lives. Some of you probably uh, remember Holman Hunt's famous uh, painting, these paintings I sometimes kind of wonder about because they always depict Jesus uh, with long hair and so forth. And I don't always appreciate their, uh, their ideas, but Holman Hunt depicted Jesus standing outside a door uh, with, a, with a light in his hand. He was knocking on the door, and when the painting was first finished, a man looked at it and commented to the painter. He said, you made a mistake. Holman Hunt said, where's the mistake? The critic said, well, you forgot to paint a handle on the outside of the door. Well, Hunt responded, no, that's no mistake. The handle is on the inside. Jesus knocks and you must open the door. So it's a personal promise. It's a present promise. It's a personal promise. It's a precious promise. Verse 20, it says, sup with him and he with me. The ancient Greeks enjoyed three meals. They usually ate a large breakfast, a smaller lunch, and then a leisurely evening meal, which they called supper. I don't know what you call it at your house. Is it dinner or supper? Uh, or is it uh, something else, you know? But uh, feed bag, something that, you know, put on the feed bag. I don't know. Anyway, the evening meal, the family would take their time. They would talk. They would fellowship. The time of intimacy for the family. And Jesus said, if you will just open the door, I'll come in and have fellowship with you. And uh, you could be a member of a dead, dry church, but you don't have to be that way yourself. Now, if you open the door to Jesus, he will come into you. He can, You can have revival in your life while everyone sits around in deadness and apathy. But Don't blame your dry condition on other people. Open the door and let him in. Present promise, a personal promise, a precious promise, and then a powerful promise. Verse 21, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. This verse is a promise that all the benefits of salvation will be given to the person who overcomes. The converted person will become identified with Jesus, his heavenly Father, and his heavenly Father home. Now, the problem with this attitude is based in blindness. Jesus tells them that they are totally wrong about what they have and where they are. And we'll look at his at those words in here in a moment. But for now, we need to remember that how we see ourselves and how he sees us may be two different things. And many churches are right there today. There's a sense that they have arrived they walk in, you walk into the average church today and you're told uh, in, they need a revival. If you told them that you needed a revival, they might be offended. If you encourage them to get on fire for God, they would say, Well, look at us. All we have. We're doing fine. We don't need anything. Well, I trust we never reached that point. The sad truth is some people get more excited about money in the bank than they do souls at the altar. They get more stirred up about a big number on the board than they do about sincere worship of the Lord. They're more blessed by what they have than by the Lord showing up and moving. So how do we see ourselves? How does he see us? And I tell you what we need more than money, more than crowds, more than buildings, more than recognition in our community, more than anything is we need to place a great value in We need Jesus, and we need to see what he can do for us. And so I would rather have him, his presence, and his power than anything material that we could name. We need him. We must seek him. We must welcome him. We must worship him. And he's standing at the door of our church, and he wants to come in and have fellowship with us as well. Well, that ends our study of the Pastors in the in the churches, the seven churches, and uh, now we can get into the rest of the uh, the uh, book of Revelation and see some very interesting things about the future and what uh, we can expect in the in the coming days, and we can get a better understanding of the times that we're living in and what's coming. Let's pray. Father